Welcome to Healthcare Upside Down with your host, Dr. Nick Vanterhaven, and brought to you by ECG Management Consultants. You can learn more about the show on the program's page at healthcarenowradio.com or on our blog at ecgmc.com slash hud. The U.S. spends more on healthcare per capita than any other country on the planet. So why don't we have superior outcomes? Why haven't the principles of capitalism prevailed? And why do American consumers have so much trouble accessing and paying for healthcare? Each week, Healthcare Upside Down will dive into these and other issues with ECG principal, Dr. Nick, and guest panelists as they discuss the upsides and downsides of healthcare in the U.S. and how to make the system work for everyone. And we end with your better pill to swallow, the conclusion to today's episode with insights on challenges and changes that improve healthcare. Now here's your host, Dr. Nick. This week on Healthcare Upside Down, we're talking about behavioral health in our society and the challenges that so many are facing with anxiety, depression, and suicide. Before we start, for anyone listening who's feeling a sense of loneliness or suffering from depression or has any thoughts of suicide, please, please call 988. This short code number has only relatively recently been set up, but it makes access and remembering easy. Remember, 988 to help you, or maybe to help a friend in need. We've talked about brain health on this show before, and specifically about destigmatizing the notion of the disease and the importance of treating it like any other disease. People can suffer from these conditions, and while we still don't fully understand the underlying causes, it can strike anyone. We do find these diseases have some genetic components like cancer and heart disease, and family history plays its part, as too does your surroundings and general welfare and place in society, including your zip code. But remember, it can strike anyone, just like any other diseases do. Suicide in particular is a tragic endpoint for some who are suffering from the disease and struggle to find a pathway out. And suicide, as a statistic, is depressing. We saw a steady rise in the incidence of suicide, but just prior to the pandemic had started to see a decline, but it appears to be on the rise again. Made worse for sure by the pandemic and the social isolation that accompanied many of the edicts issued in our attempt to curb the spread of COVID-19. But for anyone who's intersected with the healthcare system seeking behavioral health support, they will know that access is a problem. Our system struggles to deliver timely support with many finding it difficult, if not impossible, to find resources that are available without months long waits. Weights that can be life-threatening. As we have seen in so many other areas, access issues are worsened for rural communities, and this was something that we saw a good response to the virtualization of access in some cases. But does that hold true for behavioral health? Based on a recent study, it would appear that telebehavioral health does bring about a positive impact. Join me on the Healthcare Upside Down show as I talk with Dr. Mimi Winsberg. She's a psychiatrist and author and chief medical officer at Brightside Health. Hi, Mimi. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. 
So we're talking about the general rise and challenge of anxiety, depression, suicide. I think people would need to have been hiding under a rock not to have become aware of this, um, especially through the pandemic. I think we saw perhaps an amplification even further. Tell us a little bit about where that's been going and what you think is going on and contributing to this rising level of uh, of brain health challenges. That's right. We have seen an increased rate of reported depression and anxiety, and this is across populations. It largely coincided with, with the onset of the pandemic and the public health emergency. So presumably that did have some contribution to people's sense of, of malaise. Um, but most disturbingly, we've seen a, an increased in the rate of, of suicide uh, since 2020. And that was a rate that was going down prior to 2020, but has increased since then. And it's affected um, certain populations more than others. And this is a disturbing trend that um, that is very important to address in mental health. So anybody that's interacted with um, that side of the healthcare system or that part of the healthcare system, sorry, bad use of terms side. It's not, um, you, you know, it, it's really part of it, but it's all oftentimes seen separately um, would be challenged to access services. We've, we seem to have had a problem in delivering. Is that a mismatch in the resources available? What's, what, what's been contributing to that? There, there is an access issue, and it's in part a supply demand, as you pointed out. So we have a shortage of psychiatrists, a national shortage of psychiatrists, in addition to other mental health care professionals. And so there is a mismatch in terms of supply and demand right now. But there are also specific access issues in rural areas, for instance, among um, certain, certain populations. So social determinants of health come into play here. The zip code that you live in is important um, in terms of your access to care. One of the advantages of telemedicine, of course, is that the provider does not need to be located, co-located with the patient. As long as they're licensed in the state where the patient sits, they can deliver care. So telemedicine is well poised to address some of these access issues. And from, from my point of view, access is just table stakes. That's the first step, right, in, in providing care for people. We want, of course, not just to provide care, but to provide quality care and to provide care in a timely fashion. So I, we've seen the success of uh, the, the virtualization of care in other specialties. I think there was a, a big adoption and, you know, the pandemic has sort of had dual effect. It, it exposed some of the inadequacies of our system, but also opened up opportunities for helping resolve that. It sounds like that's potentially the case, but I'm still, you know, I'm listening to you and going, well, great, we've, we, we provide more access, but we still don't have the resources to be able to service that. Perhaps it's a little bit more efficient. Um, you know, is, is that going to really start to address this problem of this increasing challenge? It, it has begun to address it because some of the technical tools that we can apply, so that's to say technology-enabled service, can really optimize, for instance, how efficient a, a provider can be or the number of patients they can have in their panel. If we can do things like 
remote patient monitoring. So knowing how a patient's doing in between appointments that might reduce the number of appointments that particular patient would need, or certainly make the appointments that they do get more timely and efficient. Um, also measurement-based care can keep us uh, more accountable to the care we're delivering and thus make the whole system more efficient. So there are other ways to optimize, I guess, access and um, delivery of care besides just number of providers available. We can use tech to our advantage. So, so tech clearly expands it, but you know, let's be frank, one of the, the big areas that was laid bare in the pandemic was the inequity that exists. And you know, you talk about those rural communities, not only the actual technology, but even internet access. I mean, it's a shockingly high number, somewhere of the order of 20 million plus people who have either very poor access, very poor technology, or a combination of both. Are, are we able to address that? Or is that population continuing to be sort of further relegated out? It's a great question and a very important one, and one we are trying to understand at Brightside. So we conducted a study looking at how patients who, who do engage with our platform, so presumably they have at least a smartphone in order to engage with our platform, but we examined those who make under $30,000 a year and compared them to patients on our platform who make over $60,000 a year. So we were attempting there to look at, at, at some of these underserved populations. What we found is despite coming in with greater sort of greater severity symptoms, in other words, more symptoms at, at onset, that those making under $30,000 a year were able to benefit from the telemedicine services and did improve um, just as well as those who were in the higher income bracket. This is encouraging. Um, of course, we're self-selecting for patients who, again, have at least access to a smartphone. Um, so that is a minimum criteria. But it's encouraging that telemedicine can address some of the needs of these populations. So as you think about that, I mean, that's that's great news. The fact that that's actually delivering value. And if we can get, I, I want to say, relatively Sim, I, I'm, it's a terrible term. Simple to simple technology. It's a you know uh, a, a complex device, but you know relatively easy. I would suggest you're essentially seeing benefit in that setting. So I, I think we've struggled in the past with any kind of support services through a virtual interaction, what you're saying is that you've seen results that actually contradict that. We're seeing real positive impact. Yeah, and we, we published this, these results in, in Frontiers in Psychiatry, so in a peer-reviewed journal, and um, it was a you know, large cohort of patients in the thousands. So it, the, the findings are meaningful. Um, I think to your point about simple technology, what we try to do is take fairly complex ideas and present them to users in an easy to use interface. And so they're able to engage with a, a platform quite easily that they can access from their smartphone. But through that, the provider can gather nuanced symptoms about how they're doing in between appointments, have access to, let's say, clinical decision support to help them select the right treatment and so forth. So all of these factors can optimize the care they are getting. May not be more appointments, but the appointments that are taking place are more precise and more efficient. 
So optimization of the resources, the, the limited resources available using technology. Tell us a little bit about what kind of technology, because I, I think people struggle in, in the brain health area to understand what technology can be brought to bear. I mean, we 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 all intuitively understand a, a pulse oximeter or a, a blood pressure monitor. How do you go about doing this in, in the mental health setting? You bring up a good point, which is that in, in behavioral health, we, we lack some of the biomarkers that exist in other fields. And so we don't have as precise biomarkers, but what we can create that that does exist in other domains is what's called a closed loop platform, a closed loop system. And what happens in a closed loop system is that um, the patient is interacting with the platform and doing check-ins. And then based on those check-ins, that information gets surfaced to the provider in real time. And that is a much more um, continuous care model than what you see when you just see a provider, see a doctor, and then follow up in two to four weeks, whether you need it or not. So creating closed loop systems is one way technology can improve the care that we deliver. The other thing that's quite routine in other fields of medicine, but has been slow to be adopted in behavioral health is measurement-based care. What gets measured gets managed. And so if we don't have good measurement tools to tell how people are doing, we're not going to be a able to effectively deliver care. And so what, what we can do with our tech platforms is incorporate, and what we've done at Brightside for, sur, for sure is incorporated clinically validated scales that get pushed out to patients. And so we can see symptom improvement in a more granular and detailed way. I think the other thing that um, technology can certainly improve is um, an analysis of best treatment for an individual. So you know, we can collect a lot of data points about a patient at entry. Um, at Brightside, we collect almost 200 data points when a patient comes in. If they have a more severe condition, we may not collect as many if they're coming in with a more simple problem. But for severe complex patients, we're collecting a lot of data points. And then we can match those to a known data set and determine what's the best treatment for this individual given their symptom presentation or the particular signature that they're coming in with. A provider can assess that, a good trained provider can assess that. And that's of course what we're trained to do as doctors is pattern recognition to some degree. But a machine is very good at pattern recognition and can do it very quickly, you know, without the help of a cup of coffee and doesn't get tired. And so using the machine to augment the provider's ability to quickly assess the situation and determine what be, might be the best treatment, that's very valuable and a, a good contribution of tech to the behavioral health space. So I, as you look at the interactions that you've seen, uh, obviously supplemented with this engagement and uh, you know, clearly in medicine, we, we've sort of not measured as frequently. I mean, blood pressure is a perfect example. Once a year, if you were lucky and, you know, really not giving you much utility, changing that. But the other end of that spectrum with these devices is the, you know, constant um, uh, interruption to an individual. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's different in this. What's been your experience? Have, have patients responded well to that? Um, interaction, engagement? Patients love this because it's a sense of being in more constant communication with their provider. They can message, for instance, their provider, you know, 24-7 and get a response within within 24 hours to their, to their query. Uh, they can request a review of their case and from that get an appointment in a timely fashion. 
we also give them back to the closed loop feedback. We give them their data back so they can see, they can track their own progress and see how they're doing. And that in itself is useful because I think to the extent that there are things going on in, in their life that they may be in control of lifestyle choices, how much sleep are you getting? What diet are you following? Are you getting exercise? Are you having contact with people that, you know, with loved ones? These are things that they may not be tracking on their own and having access to how those factors may be impacting their mood state or the level of suffering that they're experiencing. All that's very useful for a patient. So creating that closed loop feedback, giving the provider the data and then giving the patient the data can be very helpful. So actually giving patients back their own data. I mean, that's, I want to say almost revolutionary. We're not very good at doing that, but you know, clearly the opportunity to engage and manage. Um, obviously, the the interaction for those individuals, and you said you can contact your um, physician through this, but it sounds like there's some level of automation that is providing perhaps a, a, a near instantaneous, but with technology, is that also contributing? That's right. That's right. So you certainly can have a, a, a conversation with your provider um, through messaging or over video, you know, that's not automated at all. It's it's a completely mm. human component. But in terms of surfacing the data, that's something that can be done more in a, in a much more automated fashion where you can see a graph, let's say, of how your symptoms have improved or track your side effects, know when certain side effects started or finished. That Those are useful things, I think, from a to, to taking a patient-centered view of uh, of your journey through um, through the healthcare system, that to your point it is often lacking and can be improved upon with technology. Hmm. So sounds like you know real progress. But let's go back to what we talked about at the beginning: this sort of rise, and you know the pandemic clearly a contributor, but is it a correlate or a causation? I mean, I think there's causation for sure. But was it really a correlation and it was just opening the, the the view of this to say, actually, we had all of this. We've seen a little bit. I, I'm, I'm curious to get your sense of what's going on behind the scenes that maybe is contributing to this that we should be addressing. So I'm speculating because uh, I don't think we know the answers. Um the social isolation that became more pronounced, at least in the early phases of the pandemic, I do believe contributed. I saw it myself in my own patients where they, you know, people started having new symptoms that they hadn't had before because of social isolation. I wrote up a, a piece um, about you know, patients who'd never had, uh, never heard voices or had any psychotic symptoms, but because of prolonged isolation, living alone began here actually hearing voices during the pandemic. And so I think the social isolation piece is, is important to emphasize. We all, you know, we need social contact the way we need food, water, and shelter. And um, the pandemic did make that more difficult. It also certainly put other perhaps financial pressures on people. Um, and this may be part of an overall trend that we were seeing prior to the pandemic. Hmm. It's clear that we're seeing rising anxiety and depression rates. And we could speculate as to, you know, all the causes in our in our society of, you know, why we're seeing this to such an extreme right now. But But I would say the pandemic definitely contributed from a social isolation standpoint. 
So as you think about that, the that isolation, one of the things that I, I feels like replaced some of the interaction was technology and, you know, the technology. Does that, is that a, a sufficiently powerful reverser of those challenges or does it actually contribute more, do you think? I think it depends how technology is used. So technology um, can be used for good or for bad and more time on social media may not be good for one's mental health. But I think deploying key uh, key strategies in, in treating mental health conditions over technology can be useful. For instance, one of the things we saw at Brightside was we were able to significantly reduce suicidal ideation in a very large cohort of patients. We took, we published on this in the Journal of Medical Internet Research, GMAR Formative Research, showing that with a cohort of, of um, eight plus thousand patients, we compared those that just interacted with the tech on our platform doing self-assessments versus those who elected to receive care. And we found that those who elected to receive care had a 4.3 times reduction in suicidal ideation, circling back to our first point about this rising rising concern of, 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 of rising rates of suicide. So using technology in this fashion to deliver quality care, I think is a real is a bonus, but just using technology for the sake of may not be that helpful. So I, I think as I pull together that, it's it's not just the tech piece of this, but it's the tech enablement that allowed you to deliver the value proposition to reduce significantly suicidal ideation. And I would believe by consequence, did you measure actual suicides as well? Did you manage to show that or was that harder to do? Well, we, we've had such a low rate of suicide that that was not... Um... That was not a significant data point of any of any um, you know w- worth comparing. Um, but what's interesting about what you said is this: we did have this digital placebo, if you will. We had people who were using the digital service in the absence of getting clinical services, and that did not move the needle the way the clinical services did. That I, you know, so that's really interesting to me. The idea that, I, and I think we've seen a number of companies emerge that say, "Hey, we can solve this," and you know, for the most part, it's it's technology that's sitting there. What I'm hearing you say is, yeah, you can use technology, but without the additional contribution of the human factor, the human contribution, that doesn't actually show positive benefit in terms of outcomes. Is that a, a fair assessment? That's right. And we've now launched this program called Crisis Care, which to your point is high tech and high touch. So it has this human component. You're meeting at least weekly with your provider, looking carefully at what are the drivers of suicide, what are the reasons for living, working one-on-one with a provider. But we've digitized the CAMS program in a way that's also high-tech. And so taking advantage of technology, but also with a warm human touch. Mimi, thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. As you heard, By bringing the right resources to bear on the problem of behavioral health, we can start to address the increasing numbers of people in need of mental health services. With the study showing a positive impact of virtual delivery of behavioral health interventions. But importantly, from an outcome standpoint of reducing suicidal ideation, that positive impact is seen with those who receive care. Your better pill to swallow? 
is adopting the telehealth capabilities to support the widest population served with telebehavioral health solutions. As Mimi puts it, creating a high-tech and high-touch mental health services really can bring about positive changes in this group of expanding patients. Thanks for joining me, your host, Dr. Nick, on this week's edition of Healthcare Upside Down. Until next week, keep solving the business of healthcare as if your life depended on it, as one day soon, it will. That's all the time we have for today. You can find all of our episodes on your favorite listening platform by searching for Healthcare Now Radio. Also, check out our blog at ecgmc.com slash hud for summaries and commentary from each episode. Follow our show's social hashtag, HCUpsideDown. And join us each week as we work to solve the business of healthcare for everyone.